everyone and welcome back to the Couch Potato Coach Podcast. This is Coach Megan and I'm really excited. Today I'm bringing you a bonus holiday episode. I decided I couldn't let this opportunity pass by to talk to you guys before holiday gatherings were going to take place. Um, Many of us will be around friends and family members who we haven't seen in a while and this is the perfect opportunity for connection. I think connection is vital right now for many reasons. Many of our friends or family members have opinions that are different from ours, and this can lead to some heated conversations. And before we all just agree to disagree and end the conversation almost before it begins, I wanted to provide a few concrete and tangible ways to facilitate and remain present in the face of heated or difficult discussions. I'm also going to talk about how you can identify if it's a conversation where you can remain present or if you need to make a timely exit. To introduce this concept, I couldn't think of anyone better than the amazing Dr. Edith Eager. I'm really excited to introduce you to her and focus on how we can have difficult conversations with each other. Our country is divided. We're all very weary and fearful. And the only way we're going to find common ground and make progress is to find a way to connect with each other. I'm going to start today's podcast by telling you a little bit about Dr. Edith Eager. You can read her full bio and learn all about her on her website, dredithegar.com. She was a 16-year-old Hungarian Jew living in Hungary back in 1944. She and her family were sent to Auschwitz, the infamous Nazi death camp. After she spent a year imprisoned enduring tremendous torture and starvation, she was brought back from the brink of death by an American soldier who literally pulled her out of a pile of rotting corpses. After regaining her health, she married a man named Bela, and they had three children together. They immigrated to the United States in 1949. She raised her family and then went back to school and earned a PhD in psychology. She is a brilliant therapist, and she is telling her story at speaking engagements all over the world, even now at the age of 93. Her entire story is just incredible, and the beautiful life that she's led after the torture and pain she endured during the Holocaust is nothing short of miraculous. And if it sounds like I'm a gushing fangirl, it's because I totally am. I'm convinced it's her face we should be seeing on the cover of People magazine and all over red carpet events. She's lived one of the most inspiring lives and is just truly a remarkable human being. I learned a lot from her book, The Choice. She does have another book called The Gift that's very popular, but I haven't read that one yet. Um, The Choice is just an excellent read for so many different reasons. Dr. Eager is a master storyteller, and the way that she weaves the details of her personal life into the writing, all the while teaching about complex psychology, inner peace, and freedom is just nothing short of genius. I will be honest, it's a very difficult read. Um, It's a good thing I was listening to this as an audible book in my car so no one could see me ugly cry through some of the details that are just beyond inhumane. Some of the stories still haunt me just to know that humans are capable of that amount of cruelty will change you and that's her point. Her point is we all have the power to make choices congruent with who we want to be. Many of us are going to have tendencies towards both sides. 
whatever terminology you like the best for this, good or bad, what works for you versus what doesn't, towards who you want to be or who you default as, pick your favorite terminology. But many of us are going to have tendencies towards both sides. And the power is in our choice. This is my challenge for you this holiday season. Make the choice to lean into difficult conversations, to actively listen, to create space for differing opinions to be heard, to speak truth to ignorance, to hold people accountable for racism, sexism, oppression. I want to challenge you to free yourself from repeating past reactions. I won't leave you to navigate these waters alone. I'm here with this podcast today and I'm going to offer some concrete guidance for how to pull this off. Dr. Eager says that our biggest annoyances are our greatest teachers. That person who you can't stand to be in the same room with has the most to teach you. And for me, this is my mother. That woman can get under my skin faster than anyone else I know. It can be difficult to have a conversation with my mother about the weather. And I'm not exaggerating. When I have conversations with her, I can easily become triggered and emotionally flooded. And I know that when I'm in that state, I'm reverting back to a previous version of myself. I'm not thinking clearly and I can easily mouth off a bunch of stuff that I don't actually think and will lead to a necessary apology later on. This leads me to step one. The first step in having a challenging conversation is the ability to recognize when you're emotionally flooded and need to excuse yourself. Dr. Eager says this is a sign that we have unfinished emotional work. And this is a perfect example of Don't work your shit out on other people. Nothing good is going to come from a conversation in this state. How do you know when you're flooded? Uh, According to Dr. Gottman, who I will tell you more about in just a little bit, he defines flooding as severe emotional distress, pounding heart, sweating. Your body actually thinks it's in danger. Extreme emotional distress. And when you're flooded with emotion, the emotion is in control. You're not thinking clearly, and you may experience your nervous system going to fight, flight, or freeze, and in this state, it's just, it's virtually impossible to have a mature and productive conversation. If you'll humor me for a moment, just take a moment to think back to a conversation you had in the past that didn't go well. One where you said things you later regretted or showed up in a way that didn't accurately reflect who you are. Can you remember the subtle or not so subtle ways that the emotions showed up in your body. So for me, when I'm in this place, I tend to get really hot in my face and I blush, or I can feel intense heat in the pit of my stomach, or sometimes even get the sensation that I'm falling or recoiling back in a way. And I tend to feel waves of anger that can be very intense. One of my tells is that the anger is so strong that I don't want to let the other person finish speaking before I cut them off and just bark out what nonsense it is. And other times I'm overcome with sadness falling down as tears on my cheeks and it's too intense for me to talk through. So thinking back, how did your body feel? Where did the emotion show up in your body? And this is a bit of emotional maturity. When we're able to recognize that the emotion is leading the way, it's time to end the conversation. If it's one that has to continue and needs resolution, you can set a time to continue after you've had a chance to calm down 
um, which is at least a 30 minute break where you do anything but think about what was said or what you want to say. If it doesn't need to continue, you can say something like, maybe we should talk about this more another time, or you're not in the right place to continue and need to end it here, or simply say something non-committal, like that's an interesting take on things and then just change subject. Nothing good will come from remaining in the conversation. You will likely say something you regret. And this is, the, this is exactly what it means to work your shit out on someone else. So be good to yourself and the conversation before it goes there. The work here is to later return to the conversation in your head or through a journal and ask yourself, what was triggered? What came up? What can you learn? What work do you need to do? And then when you do this work, the next time you're in a conversation, you will have the ability to stay. So to review, step number one is distinguishing if you're emotionally flooded and need to end the conversation. Step two is for if you are feeling emotional but not overwhelmed by the emotion. So in this place, there's curiosity and the ability to think clearly. And Dr. Eager provides some great tips for remaining present. She says to listen for clues of connection and actively signal your body to relax. The more they talk, the more relaxed you become. And to meet people where they are and then treat them the way you want them to be. She reminds us that ignorance is our greatest enemy. You don't know what you don't know. And if no one in your friends, family, or the media is telling you any differently, how are you supposed to know just how ignorant you actually are? I make it a point to combat my own ignorance by seeking out information that I'm ill-informed on. And I could do an entire podcast on this topic alone. Actually, I will do a podcast on this when I introduce you to Adam Grant and his book, Think Again. Such a good book, by the way, but back to the topic for today, (laughs) difficult conversations. If you have successfully completed step number two, you've been able to identify that you are relaxed, present, and curious. I want you to keep some fundamentals in mind. This is not time to prove how smart you are. The goal here is not to walk away and feel like you've won. And unless you are specifically asked to provide advice, don't dole any out. Listen more than you talk. I can't tell you how much I've learned in my life just by asking me questions I've I'd never been given the opportunity to answer. Go three questions deep. I'll give you a very easy example. If they start talking about who they voted for in the last presidential election and it was different than the candidate you chose, ask them what prompted them to pick that person. Then take their response and ask them to expand on it in some way. Then do it again. And do this from a place of earnest curiosity. They'll answer and enjoy the conversation. There's a good chance you're going to learn something new about them or find common ground. Or they may squirm because they've never thought about it before. Or they might become embarrassed when they realize that they are not even entirely sure why they did pick that person. These are all good things. 
We need to take the time to think into why we do the things we do. And if a spontaneous conversation over appetizers can spark that in someone, that's a beautiful thing. The last thing I want you to keep in mind when you're having these conversations are the something called the four horsemen. These are a gift given to us by Dr. John Gottman. He's been studying relationships for more than four decades, and he can predict whether a couple will remain married or divorced based on nothing more than one conversation with an astounding 92% accuracy rating. So the four horsemen are indications that the conversation is no longer productive and in fact will lead to a loss of connection. So when they show up, it's time to get out. Dr. Gottman talks about the four horsemen in his book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And I just want to go over what they are. The first horseman is criticism. Dr. Gottman, he states that criticism is defined as an expression of opinion about the other's character or personality. He says that this is distinctly different from a complaint, which focuses on a single event or specific behavior. For example, a complaint might sound something like, I'm so angry you forgot to pick up the toilet paper on the way home. Can you please leave right now and go get it? And criticism would sound more like, you are always so forgetful and careless. Now we don't have enough toilet paper to last the night. Criticism can frequently start with phrases like you always, you never, or what is wrong with you? The second horseman is contempt which Dr. Gottman defines as a sense of superiority over one's partner. So it's a form of disrespect. It conveys disgust and can often lead to conflict. If you notice sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, eye-rolling, hostile humor, belligerence, or the accusation of moral deficiency, these are all forms of contempt. The third horseman is defensiveness, which conveys that the problem isn't me. It's sort of like the innocent victim stance, like, why are you picking on me? The fourth horseman is stonewalling, which Dr. Gottman defines as one partner tuning out, disengaging, and avoiding the fight. If you're able to identify criticism, contempt, defensiveness, or stonewalling taking place in the conversation from either yourself or the other party, then you need to end it. It's no longer productive. As usual, I will be providing an example from my life. Um, I had a recent challenging conversation with my mother. I find remaining present, calm, and curious to be especially difficult with my mother. Recently, I learned some information about some family members that resulted in a very difficult conversation I typically love to provide you with as many details as possible when I give examples. I think that promotes clarity. Unfortunately, I'm not able to get into the particulars of this situation because it involves some minors and they aren't able to give me consent. So I'm sorry, this one is going to be a little vague, but I don't want to put these details out into the world when it's just not my story to tell. So I'm going to be focusing on what went on inside of me that made it so difficult and how my resolve to keep it a productive conversation actually played out. 
So in these conversations, I tend to revert to a more reactive, less beneficial version of myself historically. I don't like to admit this feeling, so I'm feeling especially vulnerable here, Um, but I used to speak to my mother with sarcasm, contempt, and criticism on a very regular basis. That's how I was taught to treat her as a child from watching my dad model that behavior, which is not an excuse, more of an offering of context. I did it until I was old enough to realize I had a choice. And also, it wasn't kind. It wasn't representative of who I was and how I think it's okay to show up to people. And when I was a kid, I literally, I didn't know any better. Now I do. To this day, I hate that I ever participated. And it's something I spent a lot of time in therapy working on to get to a place where I could forgive myself. Unfortunately, even though I've worked at this a lot, I can still feel this outdated version of myself pop up when I'm speaking with my mother. And maybe it always will, and it's simply a burden I carry. But because I'm aware of it, I'm careful to choose not to play into it. Now back to my story. I had just found out about the situation and I was upset and I told my mom how disappointed I was um, and all of the adults involved who didn't act differently and prevent the situation from happening in the first place because it, it could have been prevented. We went back and forth in complete disagreement about the best way to move forward. I took offense to some of the things she said and I could just feel the desire to say something to hurt her drumming up inside me. I contemplated a quick threat <laughs> that she couldn't come to my house for Christmas, which what would be a comment solely to hurt her because I would never deny my children seeing their grandmother who they absolutely adore. I recognized the feeling bubbling up, decided to pause um, and not respond for a moment. A flood of tears came out and I felt a very familiar hurt And it it was the disappointment of a thousand situations from when I was a kid. And I was very familiar with this pain. I remembered how I had wanted so badly for the adults around me to do what was best for my brothers, my sister, myself. I, I wanted someone to see and acknowledge how wrong, fucked up the situation was. And I felt the utter devastation that came after when no one came as if all of this had happened yesterday. This was my pain to heal. It was from old wounds caused long ago and I sort of sat in my emotions of sadness and despair and I waited for them to pass and I did that before I chose any more words. I didn't want to react while flooded with these feelings, and if I did, I would be choosing to continue using an old coping mechanism that would protect me from having to feel the feelings and provide momentary satisfaction, um, but long-term damage. So once the feelings were gone, I was feeling calm and present. I picked up the conversation and stated that what I thought about the situation, I acknowledged I didn't really have the power to correct it. I'm not directly involved in this. 
I stated that I hoped everyone involved would examine the situation in consideration of the minors. I stated all of the lasting, long-term consequences that I could think of. I stated all of the facts that I could think of to support why I felt so strongly the way that I did. I didn't ask for agreement or any type of acknowledgement that I was in the right or that my opinion was valid. I simply wanted to be sure that my mother had heard the words. She didn't seem like she had taken anything in that I had to say. She gave no indication that what I said was valid or that it had given her anything to think about. She also didn't offer up any more information or reasoning on her part, so I kind of knew the conversation had run its course. I'm fully aware that what I said may have changed nothing. She may never do things differently, but I had to say the things I did for me. Basically, what little I could possibly do, I had done. She can't say that she didn't know all the things that I told her. I told her everything I knew and had learned about all of the possible outcomes, and I don't know that I did anything or helped anyone, but I did have to try. This, unfortunately, is not a situation where I have many options on what I can do. I talked to my mother and I'm able to write a letter that will hopefully be added to a file somewhere and taken into consideration. But other than that, it's up to the adults involved um, as well as the authorities. It was very difficult for me to stay in that conversation and not get sucked into old hurts and old habits. Dr. Eager talks about how she didn't get to see her sisters as often as she would have liked, but that when she did, it was funny how quickly they fell right back into the old patterns of their youth. In her words, quote, how easily we can make even the warmth and the safety of family into a kind of prison. We rely on our old coping mechanisms. We become the person we think we need to be to please others. It takes willpower and choice not to step back into the confining roles we mistakenly believe will keep us safe and protected, end quote. You guys, I'm challenging every single one of you to choose a little risk this holiday season. If Dr. Eager can sit in the same room with a white supremacist, and counsel him to a better place, you and I can make it through dinner with our in-laws. Our children do not do what we tell them to do. They do what we model for them. If we never enter into these conversations starting at home, then they will get the message that they shouldn't either. It will be harder for them to question authority and challenge the status quo. It will be harder for us as a society to make progress have these conversations. If you can't, do the freaking work to heal yourself so you can. We need each and every one of you. Dr. Eager lived through unspeakable horrors and it started with dehumanization, with an us versus them. Find connection, stay present, stay curious. up on my little soapbox there for a minute. Sorry, I would have been louder, but I've had a cold for a week and I'm still a little congested and my voice hurts at this point. So glad I was just able to get this recorded. But I am so grateful that you joined me today for this bonus holiday edition. My family celebrates Christmas 
and I love this time of year. You get good food, good wine, you get to be around the ones you love, you get a couple days off work, hopefully. I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season celebrating however it is that you do and I look forward to speaking to all of you again in 2022. As always, I do this more than anything else so that you can come here, listen to my voice, and know that you are not alone.